It's ESPN FC Daily, Kay Murray, Gabriela Amado, and also Rob Dawson here as we look back on that game between England and France. France are through to the semi-finals. I'll tell you what, Gab, you've come back to join us. Misery loves company. That's Portugal out and England out. Not our best day, Kay. It's unfortunately not coming home. A really unfortunate result, I thought, for England, who, um, from my perspective, were the better team on the day. I thought they responded really, really well to going down uh, one goal to nil. Shuameni with an absolute golazo was a goal uh, that was not only a statement, but unfortunately set the precedent of the evening. Uh, a match full of highs and lows. Shuameni gets the goal, but then, unfortunately, with that clumsy foul in the box, uh, France with a PK. It's all things level. Then France get one back. Harry Kane steps up, scores the first PK, unfortunately misses the second. I really thought it was England's match to win. I thought France were very fragile at back. Moroccans probably watching this match, just salivating at the opportunities that they're going to have against this French back line. But unfortunately, things didn't pan out for England. A lot of questions now for Gareth Southgate. People not happy with the substitutions that he made. Rob, what did you think? I mean, I, I agree. I, mean, I thought that England for, for large periods of that were the better team. I mean, you know, Kay will have, have lived through lots of these World Cup exits where you felt that England were nowhere near, but that didn't really feel like it today. Um, I actually thought that the, the only way that France were going to find a winner was, was that kind of goal, a ball into the box and then a, a Giroud headed because at the time England looked so, not dominant, but they, they had the better chances. They were on the front foot. They were pushing forward. Um, if anyone was going to score at that point, it looked like it was England. And, and obviously, France have gone down the other end. It's a, it's a wonderful ball into the box from Griezmann. You know, a, a fantastic player. And, and, you know, fans of the Premier League will, will know that Giroud is very capable of that kind of header. And he's just bullied Harry Maguire, Maguire out of the way and, and scored the, the winning goal. Um, it's one of those. There's going to be a huge inquest into this now for, for England fans. And uh, particularly with the, the substitutions that Gareth Southgate made. But I actually don't feel that, that they were that far away today. It's just... It's one of those days. It's football, you know. Another day, you, you score the penalty, and it's two-two, and you're into extra time, and, and possibly a penalty shootout. It, it just wasn't to be today for England. Yeah, because obviously we're going to turn our attentions to France. They are the victors in this one. They are the ones who are progressing. But it is interesting that you say that, Rob, when you see what it comes to those fine margins for England. Because one player that everybody talked about before this game was Kylian Mbappe. How to stop Kylian Mbappe? How are England going to deal with it? And I feel as though, Rob, that's the one player that we weren't talking about as much in this French side when we watched this game. Exactly that. Um, you know, I was at the the, the last round um, when England beat Senegal, and, and the questions immediately after that game for Gareth Southgate were all about Kylian Mbappe. How do you stop him? You know, what kind of player is he? Um, and you know, we've seen tonight that he didn't really impact the game. It was interesting. The one player that Gareth Southgate did pick out after that Senegal game was Griezmann, who's had those two assists, and the, the second one in particular is wonderful. Um, and I'm sure that you know Gareth Southgate will, will have planned for for this for for the week. The problem is with France, it isn't just one player. These are world-class players. There are world-class players all over the pitch. Um, and on this big stage, you know, it only takes one chance. And France are taking it, you know, Griezmann with that ball into the box and, and Giroud doing what he's, what he's made a whole career out of. Um, you know, it's England love to, to build up these players like Kylian Mbappe before games and, and, you know, worry about him, fear him. You've got to worry about the entire French team because, you know, maybe they've got a tad lucky tonight, but they're a fantastic side. 
Yeah, they really, do you know what's funny, isn't it, Gabby, when you talk about Antoine Griezmann? It's a player we followed so long uh, for so many years. And the whole story that we we talked about him in La Liga, we've seen him at Atleti, at Barcelona. But he does come up big in this French side. And I think sometimes he can be a bit of an unsung hero for them. He's just such a hard worker always. And that's something that we've seen historically with him. I mean, looking at this one now and looking how France go ahead, obviously it's going to be up against Morocco. Do you have a favourite when we come to the final four of, of the two that will be going on to progress from what we've seen? I fancy I fancy Morocco against this French side. I really did not think that their performance was solid by any means today. I think uh, Morocco will like their chances against this French back line. Kane won that battle with Upamecano on the back line. Speaking of Mbappe, he was quiet. He was integral in that first goal, Shoameni, uh, before the ball actually gets to Griezmann. It's all Mbappe there. Uh, so I, I will say that, of course, this is the, one of the best players in the world that we're speaking about. But Antoine Griezmann, I think, is going to be a key player that Morocco are obviously going to have to keep their eyes on. Uh, it was a big match for Griezmann, just as you alluded to, Kay. Uh, he actually surpassed both Thierry Henry and Zizou. Now has 28 assists for the French national team. But I think that Moroccan fans are, are watching this match, just like I said in the opening statement, and I think that they like their chances. Uh, this French back line are going to have to really tighten up if they're going to stop Moroccan's counterpress. The one-touch passes that we saw uh, rip through the Portuguese national team today, uh, that's coming at France next, and I fancy Morocco's chances. Uh, there's a fan comment here that England are very spursy. Obviously, <laughs> that's a bit harsh, you know, saying that it can be in your hands and, and you throw it away. And it, it's tough because obviously they had the chance to level it, Rob. We saw with Harry Kane stepping up once again. And the storyline there, obviously, the fact that he's coming up against Larissa and the two know each other very well. The fact that it was a penalty in the same game as well. And there's just something I want to go back to just with England, because I saw one of our colleagues as well, James Olley, saying it's a bold decision from Gareth Southgate. He's got the feeling now he can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the big sides and he doesn't have to do certain things to accommodate for them, to adapt to them. In fact, even going into it, we keep hearing about this report that he commissioned into France's win four years ago, the fact that they'd had that heartbreak in Euro 2016 on home turf and that they were able to bounce back. They were able to rally back and win the World Cup in 2018. He wanted to know how France took a step after losing the Euros, how they managed to do that. And then coming into this one, he's obviously feeling confident in his side. So I want to get your, your thoughts, Rob, on first, like, and I want to separate the two as well, what you thought of his starting 11 today, what your initial reaction to that was, and we've had a fan question on that as well. And then what you think about his subs and what he could have done better. I mean, in terms of the starting 11, I, I don't think I would have changed it. I was a little bit, I thought that he may go five at the back because that's what we've seen Southgate do historically in the past. You know, a little bit more cautious, you know, worried about a fantastic French team. And in fairness to him, he didn't. I, I, I think a lot of England fans will look to that team that started and think that's the team that I would have started. They played so well against Senegal. They made lots of chances. They scored goals. And it was a, a sign that maybe Gareth Southgate is looking at his England team and saying, we've got the players now to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with England. I think the problem is now, given that they've lost, is that it's very easy to stick the boot in and say, you start starting 11, one's right, the subs weren't right, this wasn't right. But you said it yourself, you know, earlier in the show, it, it's a game of, of very, very fine margins. Um, and I, I don't actually think that England were that far away. I mean, obviously, it's easy in hindsight for me to sit here and say, you know, we should have brought this player on at this time or he should have gone off then. You know, who would be a football manager? That's that's the problem with the, the job. I just think it's one of those days that, that it comes down to such, such fine margins at this level. 
and France have got the better of that today. And and I think you just have to, to look at it and go, you know, fair play. Um, hopefully England can bounce back in the way that France did and win the World Cup. And, and you know, England maybe in, in 2026 in the US can can build on this this fantastic young team. Um, obviously, we'll just have to wait and see. To bounce off of what yeah, Rob said, the big guys. question... The big question was going to be, was Southgate going to resort back to the three at the back or five at the back? Uh, and then the other question was, who was going to win that midfield battle? And I think that England won it. I think that Jordan Henderson, Declan Rice, and Bellingham won that midfield battle. And that's why we saw England perform at the level that they did today, especially in the second half. Saka was all over the shop. And I think a lot of England fans per perhaps pointing their finger at uh, his decision to take him off, perhaps not bringing on Rashford or Grealish as early as they wanted to see. But ultimately, I think that Southgate's plan worked. We saw England play uh, perhaps not only their best performance uh, here at this World Cup, but perhaps in the Southgate era today. And unfortunately, uh, it wasn't enough to, to book their ticket to the next round. But I think uh, I'm with Rob. I think hindsight is 2020. The same goes for uh, many critics of the Portuguese national team as well. Uh, and I think he ultimately got this right. Unfortunately, the, the ball just didn't tip in their favor. No, and unfortunately, Craig Burley actually thought it might go England's way today. And I feel as though he may have given us a kiss of death and done so happily as well. I tell you what else has been a bit of a surprise to me. Dan Thomas has just texted saying this is the best he's seen England play for a long time. And I can't argue with him. And obviously, Dan's a huge England fan as well. Because you know what, Rob, as well? It's the fact that we saw them trailing. It was the first time that we'd seen that in this World Cup that they didn't drop their heads, that they did come out. And I suppose that does feed into this narrative that Gareth Southgate is feeling now, that this is a team that can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these uh, sides. I want to pick out a few players, though, a few players that really did stand out. And I want to get your thoughts on what you saw from Bukayo Saka today, Rob. Yeah, I mean, fantastic. Actually, of, of the starting eleven, if, if I was going to make one change, he would have probably been the change. Um but having seen his performance, obviously that's why I'm not a football manager because he was absolutely fantastic um, for such a young guy to to bounce back, particularly from from what happened at the end of the, the Euros, to to play like that in this tournament on this stage at that age it is fantastic. And I, and I just think he embodies now what this England team should be. It's, it, there's a, a fearlessness about them. Obviously, it's not gone their way today, and and it's easy, you know, like we've said, to to stick the boot in once once the results in. Um, but this, there's a fantastic core of young players, and and Saka is at, at the centre of that. And I've seen so many England teams suffer really limp exits at World Cups. You think about, you know, Brazil in 2002, Portugal 2006, you know, just where you're just watching the clock tick down, just waiting for them to, to go out. And that just didn't feel like that today. Obviously, England are out and, you know, it's it's disappointing and what have you. But I just don't feel that that it was that, it wasn't that style of, of World Cup exit. It, it's very, very hard to look at the positives right now. But I just think there are, there are more positives to come out of tonight than there are negatives for England. Gab, I'm just talking about some of the players as well. And obviously lost in some of this because it's a loss and because he missed his second penalty is the fact that Harry Kane actually went 53 goals, all-time joint top scorer for England's men's team. And, you know, you look at Harry Kane and you can see, you see that captain's armband on him. And it's just everything that he embodies, the leadership in him. He's just such a strong captain. You can see how much the other players admire him, how much the other players respect him. And he's given so much of himself on this pitch as well. And I think, you know, sometimes it must be hard for these players because you imagine now he'll be going home tonight and he'll feel it's on him. And obviously it, it, those moments do come down to you, but it's so tough, isn't it, when it comes down to that, that you can be highlighted for these moments. 
It is so tough. And it's just like we said, it was a game of highs and lows. You know, he scores the first one, a hero, makes it four for four in PKs in the World Cup. It's just an unbelievable moment. And then it comes crashing down just when you think England are going to get back in and we're headed into extra time again. It is, that's just unfortunately how the game unfolds. I think that he's such a veteran uh, that he will, of course, bounce back, that he'll be able to, uh, you know, move on, close this chapter. But will it sting for a long time? Yeah. And you already hear the fans in the comments calling, uh, you know, this performance a Spursy performance. Those types of comments obviously hurt. I thought it was pretty cheeky of Kylian Mbappe to exchange words with Hugo Lloris uh, before he ultimately uh, went face-to-face with uh, Harry Kane in that penalty. What is Kylian Mbappe going to tell Hugo, who has played with Harry Kane for seasons after seasons? I- I'm not quite sure, but that moment did make its way uh, around the-, the internet stratosphere. Uh, so I'd be <laughs> curious to know what words exactly were exchanged, but you do. You feel for Harry Kane because he is such a likable player. And I actually think that this English team are just so unbelievably likable uh, that I think it is a new chapter. It'll be interesting to see if Southgate continues in this chapter. Yeah, that, that's that's what's going to be interesting, is it? I love all these mind games. I wonder what he did say. We should have had a multiple choice as to what Kylian Mbappe said in that moment. There's a couple of things I do want to put to you before I get to that manager point, though, Rob. Do you think England can be a little hard done by that some decisions went against them tonight that should have gone in their favour? Um, possibly. I'm not... I think once you've, you've got those two penalties, I don't think you can really complain about the, the referee performance. To be honest, I was surprised that they got the second penalty. I thought the first one was a, a nailed-on penalty. Um, the second one, I was surprised that they went back and, and reviewed that. I thought that it looked initially, at first reaction, just like contact in the box and um, you know things that happen and you know, the keeper scooped up and you, you play on. So I, I was surprised that they, they got that. Obviously, once you get that penalty, it's devastating then that it, you know, Harry Kane's ballooned it over the bar. Um Again, I just, you know, we're so used to these England exits where there, there are excuses to be made about the referee or, you know, someone's been sent off. I just don't feel like it's one of those nights. I just, it's, it's football. It's just one of those days where it's, it's not your day. And when it's not your day, it's not your day. Yeah, you know what, as well, when you talk, you talk about where you say things didn't go your way, but I think we do also see that with any team, once things do go out, you do get that post-mortem, what's wrong with this, what's wrong with them. So what do you think it will mean for Gareth Southgate now? And, and do you see him, the man who continues to lead England? I mean, that that is a, the golden question. Um, I think if Graham Potter hadn't have gone to Chelsea, I think that we would have been handing over to Graham Potter. I think it's, it's a little bit different because it's a winter World Cup. We're not in the middle. We're not in the middle of a summer where it's an easy to make a break. We're in the middle of a season. Obviously, now Graham Potter's gone to Chelsea, so he won't want it. I think the English the English FA would want a, another English guy in charge if it's not going to be Gareth Southgate. And then if it's not going to be Potter, you're looking at someone like Eddie Howe, who you know is challenging to get in the Champions League with, with Newcastle. So he probably will feel it's not the right time. I think Pochettino would probably take it. I think Thomas Tuchel would probably take it. But I think Gareth Southgate will get first, first dibs on whether he wants to carry on. I think he's been stung a little bit before this tournament about some of the criticism that he received, um, considering that he got England to a World Cup semi-final in Russia. He got to a final of a Euros where they were beaten by Italy. He's obviously, he's done well in this tournament as well. He's, he's, he's not reached the heights that he wanted to, but he's still beaten par, I suppose you would call it. So I think it would be up to Gareth Southgate. If he wants to stay, I think they'll let him stay. But ultimately, it's whether he wants that. And, and he may feel that after, after so long in charge and, and three major tournaments, that it's time to step away. Rob, I, I guess my question is, who would you like to see take over? I w- Who do you I would, think could get let... the best out of this pool of, of young players? Do you know what? I, I would I would keep Gareth Southgate. If it was up to me, I would beg Gareth Southgate 
to stay because you know you mentioned there about the team being likable and, and that's something that the Gareth has done you know again I've grown up with England teams where they haven't been like we haven't really been able to connect with England teams and, and I think lots of fans can can do that now and, and he's got such a young core of players who obviously all appreciate him and respect him he's got another Euros in Germany in two years then I've got a World Cup in, in the US I think there's a fantastic opportunity to keep that young core together and see what they can achieve and I think Gareth Southgate you know, for all the criticism that he's received, has got the best out of them or he's approaching what their best is. Um, and I think if, if there is an opportunity to keep him, I, th- I think that they should keep him. Obviously, it will be down to him. But if I was the English FA, I would be begging him to stay. Yeah, I think, you know, there's so many parts with Gareth Southgate as well. He was the captain of Middlesbrough and I used to work at Middlesbrough many years ago, let's say. And he's he, he always had that leadership. And I think... You know, the way we hear him speak, it's not just the team that are likeable. It's so very easy to like Gareth Southgate as well. And I know it can be laughable sometimes to some of the old pros and some of them on the ESPN FC will even make fun of me when I talk about the fact that he brought in, you know, experts um, to work on the mentality of this team, to work on the psychology, to work on penalties. It's massive that they won that penalty shootout against Colombia in 2018. And even today, we kept hearing on the call, Harry Kane, yes, ultimately one was scared, but the first one was scored. The, the process that he goes through to take his penalties, all these little moments that you take charge of. And you can see that the team will do anything for that coach because they know he's been there. They know he's been there in the tough times, missing a penalty in a huge major tournament himself. And I feel that he's such a modern coach in trying to bring all these outside elements, anything that can help the team. Even the fact that we were talking about that report that he had commissioned to try and look at these small little things that can always give his team an advantage. And then on top of that, leading all these young players as well can only help them too. Anyway, we're going to move on to talk a little bit uh, about then. I've, I've asked Gabby how she sees this next bit going, Rob. We've got Morocco against France now and Croatia against Argentina. Who gets to the final first? That's what I'll ask you. And then I'll ask you the next bit. I mean, I would love to see a France-Argentina final. But having watched Morocco today against Portugal, I've got a feeling that they, they may be able to do to France what they've done to Portugal and done to Spain. Croatia are, are a funny one in that, obviously, they had a great run in 2018, but the final against France felt like one step too far and ultimately they got well beaten. I actually thought that may happen against Brazil, that Brazil may be one step too far and obviously I was proved completely wrong. In my mind, again, I'm starting to think that maybe the... Uh, a semi-final against Argentina is, a, is again a step too far but I think this Croatia team have shown that you just can never count them out um, again I've been at Argentina games at this World Cup where Argentina have gone through periods of games where they've been very very lethargic um, the game has turned very scrappy um, very bitty and that will suit Croatia I think Croatia again will look at that game and think there's a, a great chance of, of them winning that um, in terms of who, who would I pick to be in a final who, who do I think will, will make it I think it might be Morocco-Argentina. If I've learned one thing in this World Cup, it's that we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen. And That's whatever true. you think is going to happen, the absolute opposite of that is going to happen. So I think I'm going to tap out of predicting anything. Uh, but I do fancy uh, Morocco over France. I do think that they can continue this unbelievable run. They did it to Belgium. They did it to Spain. They just did it to Portugal. Uh, And I do think that France have their weak points, uh, particularly this group of French players who are in this tournament, unfortunately, uh, without the ones that were injured. I do think perhaps if this was a full strength squad, we'd be talking about something a little bit different. Uh, On the other end of the bracket, I just I think that Argentina are going to get the job done over Croatia. 
So I guess a Morocco Argentina final. Who would have said this at the beginning? <laughs> no one. So um, I don't have a Scooby Doo. Gab, you've stood pitch side on your fair share of games. You've stood pitch side in El Clasico. You've seen Lionel Messi live. But we have to remember you are a Portuguese girl. You are Portuguese roots through and through. A Portuguese blood in your veins. Would it hurt your Portuguese heart to see Messi win the World Cup as a Portuguese fan? Or do you purely see it as football and how everybody would love to see? Well, many would love to see Lionel Messi win the World Cup. Any Portuguese person that tells you that they would love to see Messi win the World Cup is flat out lying to you. And I would never do that to you, Kay. I, uh, of course, that would hurt my heart and soul, especially taking into account the way that Portugal just crashed out, uh, the way that this was probably very much so Cristiano Ronaldo's last World Cup. It would hurt my soul. Uh, but would I like to see it for Lionel Messi, for um, his career? to kind of uh, solidify his place in history. You know, so many people have pointed the finger and said uh, he can't be considered the greatest player in the world because he hasn't won a World Cup. Uh, do I think that that would perhaps solidify that title for him? Yes, I think it's it's undeniable that that would do that. Um, do I think that they can get the job done against Morocco? No, now I'm a Moroccan fan. So guess what? <laughs> Go Morocco. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it would hurt my soul uh, as a Portuguese fan, but as a lover of football, as someone who's watched him play, uh, just like you said, front row, it, he is an unbelievable player and it would solidify his spot as the greatest in the world. So, you know, the GOAT debate, I want to talk about criteria, Rob, and obviously you're a journalist, you, you, you can look at, at criteria a lot of the time, and we're now seeing that if Messi goes on to win the World Cup, that will settle a GOAT argument. That's what many are saying who are in the camp, that he's the greatest of all time. Do you think it does come down to tournaments won on whether you can decide this? I mean, with those two players in particular, it's so hard to, to distinguish between them. I have to agree with Gabby, though, that that I do feel that the World Cup, winning the World Cup would elevate his career beyond what Cristiano Ronaldo has achieved. And that's not to diminish what Cristiano has done because, you know, I've watched him at, at Man United for, for years. Um, you know, saw him in La Liga and, and what he's won and what he's achieved, that the number of times he was named Player of the Year, um, World Player of the Year, sorry. I just think to win the World Cup, given its status among footballers, um, to have that on your CV is massive. And, and if you look at, the game's greatest players, you know, we ask anyone in the street and the two they will mention are, are Maradona and Pele, both of whom have won the World Cup. I think if, if Messi was to, to join them and win it, to cap off a career with, with everything else that he's already won, yeah, I think it would it would lift him above what, what Cristiano Ronaldo has achieved. Um, I think it's that, that big a deal for, um, for Argentina, for, for Lionel Messi, um, you know, especially considering that he's already won the Copa America. You know, Cristiano Ronaldo's won the Euros with Portugal. The World Cup is something different. It's it's the biggest stage um, in our game. And, and to, to win that trophy, for him to lift that trophy would, would be absolutely huge. Rob, you were at the Portugal-Morocco game, if I'm not mistaken. What was that like? Because I've heard that it was practically a, a Moroccan home game. I mean, the stadium was just 98% Morocco fans, correct? It was, and it's it's amazing that I can even hear you now, given that they just didn't stop whistling for 90 minutes. So it took me a while to get my hearing back. Um, the atmosphere was it was incredible. The, the minute that the Portuguese players touched the ball, um, it was these loud, deafening whistles. You know, so much so that there was a, a guy sat, you know, literally uh, a couple of feet next to me, and, and I, we couldn't hear what each other was saying. Um, it was just like a home game. It's it's a weird, it's a bit of a weird World Cup in that that, that groups of fans who would usually travel to World Cups haven't 
obviously, you know, Morocco have come in their absolute thousands. Um, and, you know, they will make that semi-final feel like a home game as well. And, and you know, again, I, I don't really want to sort of put too much emphasis on, a, on an atmosphere because, you know, these are professional players and they've, they've dealt with these atmospheres in the past. And, you know, particularly someone like Cristiano Ronaldo, who's seen it all before. But he, he did get, get the feeling that the, the atmosphere in the stadium did give Morocco a little edge. And it was interesting that they they brought their, their goalkeeper, the man of the match, Bono, out for um, a press conference afterwards. And the first thing he said, was that it was down to the fans, that the fans had sort of roared them over the line. And particularly right at the end, when, when you're defending with your lives, Portugal are trying to find a, a, an equaliser. It did feel like that there was a, a little bit of a, a, you know, a, a, an advantage there, an edge there. And if that carries on, if, if you, know, you get those Moroccan fans in, into the stadium against France, it, it's, it's going to be absolutely wild. Yeah, it is. I wanted to, Well, now that we're there, now that we're on Portugal, let's stay there, shall we? Because obviously you were at the game today, Rob. Gabby's a Portuguese fan. And uh, we're going to just take a look at some of the reaction that's been coming out afterwards. And I think, you know, I'm seeing this even more now because Messi scored in the knockout round. Because remember, he hadn't either coming into this tournament. You feel as though the vultures were waiting to come out and wait for it to just be Cristiano Ronaldo. Anyway, it says Cristiano Ronaldo in World Cup knockout football, eight games, nine hours, 30 minutes of play, 27 shots and zero goals. Do you think that it's fair to bring this up, uh, Gab? Actually, we'll get to that in a minute because this is something that you spotted for us right afterwards. Cristiano Ronaldo's partner, Georgina, saying, today your friend and coach made the wrong decision. That friend that you have such admiration and respect towards. The same person that when he put you in the game, he saw how it changed entirely, but it was too late. You cannot underestimate the best player in the world, your greatest weapon. You also can't stick up for someone who doesn't deserve it. Life gives us lessons. Today, we didn't lose. We learned. What was your reaction to it, Gabby, when you saw this? Uh, my reaction was, I think, similar to a lot of Portuguese fans. It's just something that you don't want to see. It's something that you don't want to read after being knocked out of the World Cup. I think, obviously, Georgina, you know, is her own person. Uh, she can post whatever it is that she likes. But as a partner to a player at the magnitude of Cristiano Ronaldo, what she says does become a reflection of perhaps how Cristiano Ronaldo is feeling. And that's just not the kind of statement uh, that you want even associated with your captain. Uh, I think hindsight is 2020 vision. Uh, Fernando Santos, in my opinion, made the correct decision in repeating the starting 11 that we saw against Switzerland. I genuinely don't know a manager who, after seeing a dominant performance like the one that we saw against Switzerland, would say to himself, oh, we're going to be playing a defensive team similar to Switzerland in Morocco. I'm going to change everything because what I saw was just perfect, but I'm going to change it anyway. It, that's just not the case. Uh, Fernando Santos went with what worked. Uh, I think it was the correct decision. I think after the first half that he saw that things weren't, uh, we didn't have the pace or the mobility that we did against Switzerland. Uh, he made the necessary changes. He brought on Cristiano Ronaldo at minute 50 along with Juan Cancelo to give them that spark. Uh, he then brought on uh, Rafael Leão and made other changes. Vitinha came on as well uh, to continue to adjust. We did see a stronger second half from Portugal with Cristiano Ronaldo. There were the opportunities there. And like Rob said, happened to England. It just wasn't Portugal's day. Uh, but Luis Figu also came out, obviously a Portuguese legend. You never like to hear him criticize uh, Fernando Santos. And he came out with similar sentiments 
as Georgina. You can't win a football World Cup with Ronaldo on the bench. All right, you won against Switzerland, great result. But you can't do this every, but can you do this every game? He says, no, leaving Ronaldo out was a mistake. This loss is on the team management and the manager. I say this with the utmost respect for Luis Figo, a player that I grew up watching and, and admire. Where were you when we won 6-1 with the same starting 11? You didn't have the same feelings. And so hindsight, it's 2020. I'm over yeah, it's in, it. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? And, and Rob, I want to get your take on this, obviously. Up on the scene in Manchester, so you're following the Cristiano Ronaldo story a lot of the time. And it it's always seems to be drama, whether it's coming from the media, interviews, management, players. And now Piers Morgan has obviously been quite active on Twitter during this time. And he said, very sad to see Cristiano in tears as his dream of winning the World Cup ended. Those mocking him should remember what he's done for football. For me, he's the GOAT and a great guy who's had the toughest year of his life on and off the pitch. He's earned our respect. Now, he's absolutely earned our respect. And of course, he has had a really tough year, especially personally, overall else, overall when it comes to professionally. And I suppose when you look at it that way, it's not going to be taken too much what Piers Morgan says, people don't care too much what he has to say about it. But if you were to look back on this World Cup and you pick out the story of Ronaldo's World Cup for you, Rob, where, where would you go with that? I mean, it's, it's very, it, it, it's difficult because, you know, I'm loath to agree with Piers Morgan, but it has been a, a particularly tough year for, for Cristiano Ronaldo, particularly off the field. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what he's had to go through off the field. On the field as well, you know, you've got a, a guy who is, is used to being the best um, game after game and he's having to learn that, you know, sometimes your, your talents diminish, particularly at 37 years old. And, it, and it's how you manage that and how you respond to that. Um, I mean, in terms of this World Cup, he's obviously scored his goal and, and became the, the first male player to score in five World Cups. Obviously, it's something that he'll, he'll treasure. I think he probably thought at one stage during this World Cup that he, he there was a possibility that he may go on to, to win it. Um I think it's a it's a little bit of a sad way for him to to bow out, um, you know, against Morocco having come on a, as a substitute. But again, I agree with Gabby that the, the the big decision that Fernando Santos had to make was dropping him for Switzerland, not dropping him today. You know, after you, you beat Switzerland six one without Ronaldo, then there's no question at all that he should start on the bench today. I thought he brought him on at the right time. He gave him plenty of opportunities to to change the game. He had his one chance. It didn't go his way. Um, it's, again, it's it's one of those things. Would I have liked to see Ronaldo bow out with with the World Cup? Um, lifted it up above his head. Yeah, of course. Um, I just, I think maybe this last World Cup came a little bit too late for him. You know, you're talking about Lionel Messi, who's, who's a little bit younger, who who is still in control of a lot of, of his talents and, and then the way that he plays. I just think that maybe this World Cup was was maybe one step too far for for Cristiano Ronaldo, um, given what's happened for him at, at Manchester United. And um, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we can look back in a few years and, and really you know, understand and, and appreciate and respect his career because, you know, like Piers Morgan said, there's going to be an awful lot said and written about him in the next couple of weeks and days. Um, I don't think that's a true reflection of what Ronaldo has done and, and what he's achieved in his career. Um, again, a little bit of a sad end for him, but what a wonderful player and, and, a, and a fantastic career. Yeah, appeared in five World Cups, scored in all of them, led by example throughout his career as well. It's not over yet, though, is it, Gabby? It might be over for Portugal, but I think there's more story to come from Cristiano Ronaldo right now, isn't there? There is. I mean, it'll be really interesting to see where he goes next. Uh, I don't think that things are as done and dusted as people presume with this Saudi Arabia Al Nasser deal. Um, it's going to be intriguing to see if he uh, decides to stick around with the Portuguese national team and play in the Euros. I suspect that he will. Uh, he'll be 39 at the time, I believe, if I 
doing my math correctly. So I think that we could still see him uh, give it a go, perhaps in the Euro. His sister actually uh, put out a Instagram post saying that 41 uh, is still your prime. So insinuating that perhaps you could see him at the next World Cup, which would be uh, quite something here uh, in the United States. But uh, nevertheless, echoing what Rob said, a stellar career, someone that Portuguese fans, uh, Manchester United fans, Real Madrid fans, Juventus fans, everyone, you know, have to say thank you. We have to feel lucky to have even been able to witness uh, this caliber of player. And, and he is still going to play. Where next? That's the big question. And I'm super intrigued to see uh, where this story goes next yeah Ronaldo's 41 is probably like most people's 31 as well let's just say that Uh, don't forget guys we've got Argentina Croatia on Tuesday France and Morocco on Wednesday and we'll also find out what happens with Fernando Santos because he said he's flying off to Lisbon tomorrow and he will discuss his future there so he also said no regrets on the Ronaldo decision but what else is he going to say at this point anyway England are out France are through thank you so much for being with us we'll see you next time